Incident at Bremzinski, Spies and Lies, Book Two. Written by William Maltese. Narrated by Adam Werner. Chapter One. The darkness was complete, except for the whites of the rolled-back staring eyes of the dead man at the bottom of the trench in Egypt's Tomb 42, atop the escarpment at Egypt's Aswan. The dead man was Troy Candle, or anyway, that's what official reports said when written up, filed away, and forgotten, as was the paperwork of most unsolved crimes that cluttered the backroom shelves at Aswan Police Headquarters. Although at the time, a lot of people scratched their heads and wondered why Candle was in Egypt in general, and in that hole in particular. He was a member of a rather nefarious group of freelance intelligence agents, known to exist within the murky gray zone and he had last been heard from while selling blueprints of a Soviet naval installation to red Chinese contacts in Berchtesgaden. Before that, he had been somehow involved in the transfer of a reputed large cache of World War II Nazi gold from its supposedly long-lasting hiding place in a communist country to the vaults of a prominent Swiss bank, neither of which occurred anywhere in nor near Egypt. Besides which, There was no evidence of his having entered the country through legal channels, certainly no passport or other travel papers, forged or otherwise, found on his person. The movements of all other foreigners in Aswan, ten of them at the Hotel Oberoi, six at the New Cataracts, were monitored closely by local authorities, for some kind of connect with Candle, but nothing suspicious turned up. Although, Jürgen Dietzen, as a citizen of East Germany, drew temporary suspicion because of Candle's previously suspected involvement in the transfer of the old German Nazi gold. One by one, however, the businessmen, Dietzen included, turned out pretty much who they purported to be. Granted, Denny Slyzer was involved in a shady monetary deal that concerned the shipment of foreign currencies gathered on the country's black market, but he, or that, apparently had nothing to do with Candle verification of which could have been privately attested to by any one of the several top-ranking Egyptian police and government officials who received large cuts off the top of Slyzer's profits. In truth, not even Gregory Ohm, the man whose hands pulled the piano wire through Candle's windpipe, like a warm knife slicing butter, had any real knowledge as to why his victim was ordered terminated. The Egyptian authorities could have looked far and wide for any reference to Ohm and their records of foreigners in Egypt the week of Candle's death, and found no record of him either. Ohm hadn't arrived via Cairo or Alexandria, nor had he entered from the south via Khartoum. He'd come from the west, across the Libyan border, entering Egypt by camel. He'd crossed vast tracts of desert wasteland, which were just as wild and rugged as they'd been when caravans of old had more regularly tracked through the same wilderness. Since he had at one time been assigned to Egypt, back when his nationality was more clearly defined, his loyalties more centralized, rather than given to the highest bidder, he traveled with neither friend nor guide. The two Arabs he had chanced to meet along the way, this last visit, showed no recognition of him being anyone but the fellow nomad he purported to be, his mastery of the language and of the customs nearly perfect, and the duo would have passed him on by, without too much thought, except Ohm hadn't lived as long as he had without covering every contingency. If he left the Arabs and their camels dead in the desert, soon buried in shifting sand atop the piled stones and shallow graves he'd initially provided, he had no qualms about what he'd done. 
It was merely the fate of those Arabs to have had their luck run out in the sandy wastes of the deep Sahara. The meeting between Ulm and Candle had been planned not by Ulm, but by the people who hired him. This hadn't been one of those assignments where he was left to his own wiles as to how to carry it out. This one was a piece of cake, handed him on a silver platter, wrapped up for him in prior blue ribbons, detailed right to the point where the wire sliced deep and splashed Candle's blood and phlegm over Ohm's shirt sleeves, not to mention over just about everything else. According to the kill plan, Candle had been told that Ohm had something in his possession which Candle had obviously wanted enough to come to Tomb 42 to buy. What that was exactly, Ohm never did find out, although he later wished that he had held off the termination for at least as long as it would have taken him to find out.